Welcome to Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. Life in Accounting is the podcast for everyday heroes like you working in the accounting profession. Are you ready to hear from accounting influencers, thought leaders, visionaries, and other professionals leading change in the accounting world? Then stay tuned for Mark Goldman, a CPA, the owner of Where Accountants Go, and your host. Welcome to Life in Accounting. There's always a point that money does not motivate employees. And I reached a point where I really wanted to give back. And this was a wonderful opportunity to help people. Hello, everyone. I'm Mark Goldman, a CPA and your host for Life in Accounting, a podcast production of whereaccountantsgo.com. That clip was from Lyndon Herridge, a CPA and the CEO of United Way of San Antonio and Bear County. If you've ever had the thought that you'd like to do more with your career to help people specifically, then this is going to be a great episode for you. Make sure you listen all the way to the end, though, because you may think that Lyndon would give you the advice of immediately going out and searching for a job with a nonprofit. That's actually not quite what he recommends, though. He has some very sage advice for those looking to make a difference. Yes, it may involve the nonprofit community for you, but maybe not quite the way in which you think, or maybe not in exactly the timing that you may think. Lyndon also has a great career story for us. We cover how he started very much in the for-profit world and then transitioned to United Way because he saw how much one of his friends and colleagues enjoyed their position with United Way in another city. It's definitely a great story of finding fulfillment, doing something that matters to you personally. If you do find value in this episode for yourself, please check us out online. You can find us at whereaccountantsgo.com. We have all kinds of audio and written accounting career-focused materials, blogs, we have books, and of course, all our other podcasts, and even a few tools for employers as well. If you are an employer and you are in the mode of hiring for accounting positions, one publication that may interest you is our ebook called Hiring for Accounting, a comprehensive guide to successfully filling accounting positions. It's a 45-page ebook that tells you everything you need to know to successfully fill accounting positions. Once again, you can find that on our website at whereaccountantsgo.com. With that, let's go ahead and get started. Here's Lyndon Herridge, CEO of United Way of San Antonio and Bear County. Well, hello, Lyndon. Thanks for making the time for this today. Thank you, Mark. I look forward to it, and I hope this uh, interview will help other people consider nonprofits. Wonderful. Well, for the audience, we have Lyndon Herridge on the line with us today, and I specifically asked Lyndon if he'd be willing to share a story with us because he is currently the CEO for the United Way of San Antonio and Bear County, 
and he also happens to be a CPA. We haven't had very many CEOs on the program that actually started their careers as accountants, and, and definitely not many that weren't basically you know, running their own small accounting practice, and, and therefore were CEOs. So this is going to be a very valuable episode for us, and frankly, it's a rare opportunity. Lyndon, before we get into your current role, let's start at the beginning like we do with all our guests. What initially led you to pursue accounting? as a possible career in the first place? I just finished my freshman year in college, and I had a summer job, and it was with W.D. Anderson Construction Company, and they were a member of the AGC, Association of General Contractors. And uh, Mr. Anderson was phenomenal, and he wanted me to come into the office and help out in their accounting department and help with estimating different jobs. That got me interested in accounting, quite frankly. I never, never considered accounting until the uh, work experience I had. Was that after high school or was that? Yeah, that was after high school. That was in college, after my freshman year in college. True. I immediately changed my major, and um, it's been very, very, very beneficial. Okay, wonderful. I, I'm curious, at what point did you start to pursue the CPA exam? Immediately after I graduated from college, I got my undergraduate at Howard Payne University, a small Baptist uh, university in Central Texas, and I accepted a position with a regional CPA firm called Alford Maroney and Company, and it's like all this consolidation going on, they eventually merged into Arthur Young and eventually merged into Ernst & Young. The position I accepted was in Amarillo, and I also started working on a master's at West Texas State at night, and uh, that's now called West Texas A&M. And uh, that's how I, I immediately started uh, studying for my CPA exam. I didn't take a Becker review. I did it all on my own. Wow. Okay, you don't hear that very often these days. Yeah. <laughs> if I had to do it again, I would have a review course, but, I mean, the main thing, I passed it very quickly. Well, it took a couple times, but I did pass it, so that's what's important. Were there that many review courses even to pick from back then, or, or was Becker? No, there wasn't. It was only Becker at the time that I remember. There wasn't any in uh, the universities. What I did, I got the old questions and uh, from the old tests that was given for the AICPA, and I used that to study by much different times back then. <laughs> yeah, much different times back then. That's 45-plus <laughs> years ago. So did you start on the audit side or tax or something different? This firm was really, I, I did a lot of tax. I did both, tax and audit, and uh, I enjoyed it a lot. I grew up, I tell you, in central Texas on a family ranch up in Llano. Matter of fact, I still have it. We've added to it. And after about a year and a half in public accounting, my dad had a stroke at a very young age of 49. I was in a position I wanted to get close to home to help out the family. So I, um, after the CPA firm, I started looking, not after, but started looking and accepted a position in San Antonio in oil and gas. And that's how I got to San Antonio. Okay. I didn't realize that. Yeah, that was a relatively short time in public. I didn't realize that. Yeah, it was real, yeah, a very short time. Okay. But it worked so, out. It gave me a chance to help the family. And uh, the oil and gas company I was with had uh, operations a lot in South America, and I enjoyed it very, very much. But, okay. And eventually I ended up at Tesoro Petroleum. I got recruited to go to work for Tesoro Petroleum, giving me a little bit of my background. Okay. And Tesoro now is merged into Endeavor, which is now merged into Marathon, 
And uh, I was at, with Tesoro Petroleum about five years and enjoyed that a lot, too. Learned a tremendous amount. Did SEC work and turned down several transfers throughout the world. I didn't want to go to Indonesia, <laughs> which would have been a nice assignment for a couple of years back then. Didn't want to go to um, Beverly Hills and uh, live in California. And I didn't want to go to uh, Alaska. We had a large operation in Alaska back then. And give you a little bit of my background, Mark, it's, I mean, it's interesting. I, I wonder at times why the good Lord put me through in different positions, but it trained me a lot and prepared me. I got another call from a headhunter asking me to consider a position with an individual out of the King Ranch that I did not know at all. I went ahead. I almost didn't go on the interview. I went ahead and went on the interview. They made me an offer. Tesoro wanted me to stay very much, and they told me after I left I could come back any time, but that individual had an undivided one-eighth interest in the King Ranch, and he basically had a venture capital firm, and that's what I went to work in, and we were in real estate, construction, we were in manufacturing, banking, and, uh, and of course, agriculture also, and I was with uh, that individual for, and his name was, he's no longer alive, he's a Belkin K. Johnson, and his middle name is K for Clayburg, and of course, Clayburg really ran the King Ranch. It was really interesting, some of the things I got to do. I held many titles from chairman of the board of our banking interest. We had several small rural banks. I enjoyed that tremendously. Also, I had a title of president of a manufacturing company in Atlanta for plastics that we sold throughout the southeast to um, different manufacturers of furniture, and uh, which was very, very profitable back in. And also we had an interest. We would approach a lot, like a lot of wealthy families. There's a time where there's always a liquidity problem. One family had a huge liquidity problem called the Rockefeller family back in the mid-'80s or early-'80s, I guess it was. And the Rockefellers, uh, Jay Rockefeller was running for Senate and needed money for his senatorial campaign. And Winthrop Rockefeller, uh, one of the brothers, uh, had died in Arkansas, and they needed money to handle his estate taxes. And B. Johnson always had a close relationship with uh, the Rockefellers. And um, matter of fact, we shared one of their trust attorneys, uh, ran a bunch of trusts for B. Johnson, too. And we were approached about buying in to the Rockefeller Family Holding Company. And even my sons don't even know about this. They were shocked when I told them about it um, a couple months ago. One of the best investments we ever made. Spent much time in uh, Manhattan, uh, attended meetings on the Rockefeller Group and on their family investments. Learned a lot. And there's a lot of history, just like there's uh, Rockefeller history, and there's a lot of uh, Texas history through the King Ranch. But that gives you a little bit about my background. And interesting enough, and I think this happens to a lot of individuals, I had reached every goal I wanted to reach at that point, And somehow, you know, you say, that's not really what I really want to do. And I was about 42, I think, or 41 or 42 at the time. And my old boss had been active in United Way. And matter of fact, Dr. West, who ran Tesoro Petroleum, was active in United Way, ran the local United Way campaign. My old boss ran the local United Way campaign on one year. I got a call from the president of United Way that I knew very, very well and respected tremendously. 
His name is Howard Nolan. And he said, Linda, we got a position that's going to come available down here, and we'd like you really to consider it. And my first response, and Howard will remember this very well, we talked about it several times. My first response was, no, Howard, I don't think I want to do that. I'll be happy to be on your board, but I don't think I want to do that. I had another very close friend who was a banker, and he was telling me about his wife, and this banker was in Dallas, just accepted the position and how much she really, really enjoyed it as a CFO. And uh, she had accepted the position with United Way of Dallas. And I got thinking about that, thought about it for six months, called Howard up and said, yeah, you know, I'll consider the position. Make a long story short, accepted the position as CFO. Within a year, um, I was told that we want you to consider replacing Howard when he retires. And I said, no, that's not my deal. I'm going to help Howard retire. And uh, I'm very interested in putting good business principles to work in the nonprofit to make it more efficient and and for us to raise more money. But I I don't think I want to do that. That was, again, I was going to stay probably about 12 years and help Howard retire. Kept talking, they did to me, ended up, I've been there, I'm in my 28th year. I came on as a CFO, and then I progressed based on things I learned in my prior life, running companies, working in on the audit side, the tax side. I knew how to be a management consultant and improve processes. That's what we did, continually improve the processes at United Way. We became phenomenally successful. We raised more money every year. We hit a high under my leadership of $56 million, and philanthropy is changing right now. The way we give money, and companies are changing, but companies are very, very supportive of our community. And uh, we became the leader in the nation, especially in San Antonio, it was important. We, had, we wanted to be efficient, and they set a goal for us to have an overhead of under 10%. At the time, this is 20-some-odd years ago, we had an overhead of 11%, something like that. We lowered our overhead. Matter of fact, we got it down to 6% a couple years ago. We led the nation having the most efficient overhead, most efficient United Way in the nation. And at the same time, we're very innovative in the way we allocate money to nonprofits. And we try to use good business principles. We're looking for a true return on investment. In other words, we want to see changes in the community that are sustainable changes. It's been very, very enjoyable. I'll be real frank. I've been... I've really enjoyed it, or I wouldn't have stayed these extra years. So you've been CEO for over 15 years. I was COO for about 15 years. After that, I was president and CEO, and I've been that for a little over six years now. Okay. Wow. Yeah, I'm just curious, ballpark, I mean, what, what size was United Way when you started? <laughs> when I started, we, were, we just raised uh, $21 million. Okay. And as I said, two years ago, we had a high of $56 million. Again, companies are changing, uh, uh, and there's tremendous automation in, in uh, giving now. And uh, last year, we raised $46 million. And some of that has to do with uh, we used to run the combined federal campaign. This is a federal campaign here for the San Antonio region. Office of Personnel Management, we had to report to them on that. OPM changed how they were running their, their charitable campaigns. And uh, United Way, they didn't want a nonprofit running a charitable campaign. They wanted a for-profit company to run the charitable campaign. 
And we naturally said, that's not us. We'll participate as a receiving money, but we're not going to be involved. Well, you did answer one of my major questions. I was curious how someone, frankly, very entrenched in the for-profit world, I mean, even to the extent of doing SEC reporting at one point, becomes so involved <laughs> with United Way. You know, you reach a point in the life, and this is true, money doesn't motivate. There's always a point that money does not motivate employees. And I reached a point where I really wanted to give back. And this was a wonderful opportunity to help people. Now, I don't like giving, providing direct services, so to speak. In other words, helping with the food bank and helping because it breaks my heart to see the number of people we have hungry in our community and across the United States. I'm much better at making sure there's money and much better making sure that it's given to the organizations that need it to produce change. And everybody has a niche in life, and that's been my niche. Okay. I'm curious, how did you need to grow personally, or, or what skills did you feel like you needed to develop going from CFO to COO and or through COO to president, you know, that whole transition, because those are obviously very different roles. Yeah, it is. There's no doubt. As a CFO, you've got to be very creative in what you look at companies and come up with suggestions. I always wanted to improve bottom line results. I always enjoyed uh, making sure that we built good processes out there and were delivering. So if I had to say some skills, some of those skills started at a very young age, and a ranching background just with the FFA projects, raising hogs as an example and raising goats and making sure you made a profit on that. And I was always active with my dad and bottom line on, the, on our ranching operations. So some of that started young, what I'm trying to say. And uh, I enjoyed operations much more than I enjoyed debits and credits, I'll be real frank. I enjoyed what can we do to improve things and not to say that I wasn't a darn good CPA, I know I am, but uh, I enjoyed dealing with people, helping people improve what they're doing. And I always enjoyed looking at different departments and seeing how we can improve it. Okay. What challenges do you see coming down the road for nonprofits or opportunities either way you'd like to approach that? Yeah, that's a good question because right now nonprofits, like, uh, there's a tremendous explosion of nonprofits out there. You know, if you go back 25 years ago, there might have been, as an example, in the uh, CFC, the OPM campaign, there might have been 3,000 nonprofits. Today, that number, and I've lost track, probably is closer to 40 to 50,000 nonprofits. So everybody in this economy is trying to raise money for colleges and universities, which they need to. Um, I support that. They're raising money for different causes. So the challenge for nonprofits, in my view, is we've got to continue to prove that we're making a significant difference with the contributors' money and never lose track that it's their money and uh, show that there is a true return, as I mentioned earlier, At the same time, we've got to be efficient, too. And and there's some trends out there, and there's some books that say, ignore overhead. That's not the point. It's about the service you're delivering. And that may be true in some communities on a national level, but I think in our community, our citizens and our business leaders hold us accountable for both, and and, uh, we've been successful at that. So that's going to be a continued challenge 
going forward. And the other challenge out there is the explosion of for-profit companies that want to go to corporations that handle their charitable distribution of funds. And there's a bunch of those out there now. It's, it's amazing. Interesting. Okay. If I'm an accounting professional and I'm in the first you know, few years of my career, and mm-hmm. you know, this all sounds wonderful and I want to make a difference in the world too, what advice would you have for me? What can, what can a younger professional do? We had a, a young woman intern with us, and I'll give you that advice. And uh, she had phenomenal grades, graduating with her master's MPA from Texas A&M. And she wanted to make a big difference in the community, and, and uh, she really wanted to go to work for us. That would have been the biggest disservice to that young woman. I think if you're a young accounting professional, you need to get experience in the for-profit world. I believe that very, very much so. And I believe you need to have varied experience. Don't get me wrong. I think it's great going to work for a company and retiring with them, but we all know that's been out the door for many years. I think if you can have a broad background where you learn from many different situations and then take that experience and go into the not-for-profit world, you will be a tremendous asset to any uh, nonprofit, and I do mean that, tremendous assets. I recommend at least 10 years out there. Okay, and not to think of it as not following your dream, but actually to think of it as, as investing in your dream. Because and That's a good way to say it, Mark. I agree with that. You cannot, it's, it's continuing education. You've got to have more experience before you can be a, a great asset in, in the nonprofit world. And the nonprofit world is very receptive to improvements, and they need quality individuals. And on our staff, we have several, and I'll be real frank with you, um, we, we like, education is very important to us, but we have several PhDs on our staff on the program side. Many of our staff have masters in social work on our staff, but they didn't get all their experience with us. That's the main thing. Okay. You're about to go through a transition where mm-hmm. you're going to transition out of the CEO piece of your role, right. still staying right. as vice chair. What are your future wishes for United Way, or what does the future hold? What are the, the future goals? I want United Way locally here to continue to do well. We're a very strong United Way. Our goals are to we're changing our, the way we allocate money, Uh, We're going to be more, when I say allocate funds, let me rephrase that, to different programs with different agencies to show a better return on investment that we're making a difference. So one of the goals is that that this new system works extremely well. As an example, we take kids, we want to get children ready to go into kindergarten because we know that's critical, and we know that very much locally. We want them to graduate from high school and that's very important. But by the third grade, we can tell you if they're going to make it or not make it, quite frankly. And that's amazing to us. Or after the third grade, let me phrase that. And it's kind of interesting, Mark. We've got 16, I think it is, 16 or 17 school districts here in San Antonio. And some of them are very rich school districts. Some of them are very poor school districts. If you look at all those kids in all these different school districts, up to the third grade, you would think that the kids in the rich school districts would test better than the kids in the poor school districts. That's not the case. We lose them after the third grade. 
the test scores, and this is based on research, and this goes back a number of years too, they're all equal. After the third grade, then you start to see change, significant change. So we're trying to change that because we know if we don't have an educated workforce here in San Antonio, San Antonio is not going to continue to grow to the extent that it can with high tech and other industries. And uh, we've got to get these kids graduating from high school, going on to college in some cases, going on to trade school in other cases. And they will be the people paying our ad valorem taxes for this community. They will be the people out there buying gas to the different Valeros and people like that and making this a very uh, vibrant community. So that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to improve the quality of life. That's the challenge our United Way has here locally. Interesting. Okay, thank you. Learned a lot today. Good. And, Mark, let me say so. I thought I knew United Way before I went to work for United Way. I thought United Way, just like most of us out there, raises money and gives it away. That's not what we do. Yes, we raise money, but there is a tremendous amount of thought put in to how we invest that money. And it's done ultimately by volunteers. Staff is not recommending. Staff will do the research and provide answers. But where the money is being invested is by our citizens in this community. That's what makes United Way work. And our business community, the key leadership from our business community is what's made a difference in our local United Way. And I need to tell you, that key leadership continues for years and years and years. All the major names here locally that you would know have been active with us and they stay active with us. That's how we're different than a lot of other communities and a lot of other United Ways, quite frankly. That says a lot when they stay active with you mm-hmm. over the years. Mm-hmm. A lot of times it's, it's a temporary fad. <laughs> That's right. That's <laughs> exactly temporary. right. Well, you've had an amazing career. and, and actually, I don't know amazing, but it's been interesting, okay? And <laughs> it's, it, it's been fulfilling for me. And, Mark, I, I need to address that, too. My personality is I want to help people. I really do. And I want to do it in a professional way. That's very, very important to me. If you don't have a caring personality, nonprofits may not be the best place for you to be, quite frankly. Thank you. That's an important realization, definitely. Well, given what you know now and at this point in life, if you could go back in time and give your younger self just one piece of critical advice, what do you think that might be? Uh, You know, I've thought about that a lot because I have two sons, and uh, they're both pastors, and uh, they both have great educations. Continually, uh, my wife and I preach to them. uh, There's two pieces of advice I give. Number one, and I give this to myself, if I had to do some things over again, I would not have pushed myself as hard as I did early in my career, the first 10 to 15 years of my career, putting forth the extra, extra, extra effort. I think you need to have a well-balanced life. And and don't get me wrong, we we do have, my wife and I, we have a well-balanced life, but it's real hard sometimes to um, push yourself too hard and not to enjoy those early years more. We always took vacations. We always did a lot of things with our sons. If I had to do one thing over, I'd like to have more time with my sons. That goes so quickly. I can't begin to describe how quickly that goes. But the other thing, and most people know that too, but the other thing I would do too is I think it's very important for anybody in any different field 
to have uh, flexibility just because you graduate from college and you think you're not going to do this or you're not going to do that, you'll probably end up doing some of that stuff. So be very flexible and uh, have very many different routes that you can go with your career. Because when I graduated from college, I never in my wildest dreams thought I'd be doing what I'm doing. Never, never. Yes, I can relate to that. (laughs) Okay. Well, I end every podcast with the same three questions, and I want to be respectful of your time, so I want to go mm-hmm. ahead and get to that. The first one's usually the easiest. From a career perspective, what's been your proudest moment? I think my proudest moment, I don't know if it's a proudest moment, but one thing, I'm, I'm known for integrity, and uh, that's very important to me. I'm going to give you a straight answer, and um, you can trust that answer. I don't care if it's dealing with employees, I'm being consistent with employees, if it's dealing with investors in my whole life, or if it's dealing with contributors now. There's not a doubt of the integrity and the desire to be very professional in what I do. Very important. Tell us about a mistake you've made and what you learned from it, because that's what we really want to know. But the bigger, the better. Okay, I'll be happy to. I think the biggest mistake I've ever made is using my value systems and the way I look at life to try to motivate other individuals and be real specific in what I'm talking about. Early in my career, like every kid coming out of college, you want to make the most money you can make. Money does not really motivate. It took me 10 years to learn that, but money really doesn't motivate. It's the way I handle raises and promotions for individuals, certain individuals I would have slowed that down more. I think uh, I moved them along too quickly, perhaps. That's different than maybe some people would answer, but I think you have to look at the situation. And at some point, you know, again, your personal motivations and things that will spur you on doesn't necessarily apply to other individuals. And that works with my sons. I'll be real frank, too. I cannot believe, and I'll give you a personal example, I cannot believe my sons know that I take care of vehicles. I don't care if it's a ranch truck or if it's my truck here or my personal automobiles here, my wife's. They're in top shape. That's very important to me. My sons, and it's not quite that important to them. But they have other things that's important to them, more so than I do. So To this day, it still bothers me their car is not clean inside and out, even though they, one son has young children, and that's hard to do. I know that. <laughs> I'm so laughing that, because my father was the exact same way with his cars, and I'm like well, son. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I cannot begin to describe how it frustrates me. I just don't understand that. Oh, my gosh. That's good. Well, thank you for the, the other comment, too, about promoting people too quickly, because I, I didn't see that was where you were going at first, which is why I paused. But, yes, that, that can damage people's career when you move them ahead. They were good people. Don't get me wrong. I think they could have seasoned out a little more, and they've been much, much better. I really do sure. believe that. Sure. Just looking back and not mentioning names, but looking back on certain individuals. Well, last question, and then we'll okay. go ahead and close it down. What is the best piece of advice that you have ever received? I guess the best piece of advice I've ever received is in a book from a young Navy doctor who 
was in Vietnam. I'll never forget this. He served his time in Vietnam. He had all intentions going back and opening up a private practice. And after he saw some of the hardships in Vietnam, he went back to Vietnam to help the people. And I never will forget one of the things that he mentioned. It was a, and it's kind of emotional to me. It was a poem by Robert Frost. And I thought about it for years and years and years. And the poem was basically, and I'm paraphrasing it, is the woods are lovely, dark, and deep, but I have promises to keep and miles to go before I sleep. And that has helped me tremendously. I can't begin to tell you because I think we all at certain times in our career get discouraged and we wonder, you know, what am I doing and where am I going? And I thought about the promises I made to different individuals, and I always kept those promises, no matter what. In the business world, it's very important. So to me, that's the best advice. I mean, there's going to be challenges along the way, and we all go through those challenges. And I think our careers are never a straight-up curve pattern. We go up, sideways, up, sideways, and all over, and we're wondering, where are we going with some of this? Just thinking back and to nights when I'm studying late in college to nights when I worked the night through in the corporate world, getting ready for big projects I had to work several nights through, keeping in mind that there's a greater purpose to what we're doing and there is a pattern for what we're here to do in life. And, and I believe that's very true. So I hope that helps a little bit. That poem is very, very meaningful to me. And what this young doctor did is uh, amazing to me, quite frankly. Well, I can tell that, you know, keeping your word and doing what people expect you to do and that you promise to do is very important to you. And, and that's why you oh, are yeah. the CEO for United yeah. Way. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's been fun. It really has, Mark. And I, I hope this has helped some individuals consider a nonprofit as a, as a way to go. It's, it's a very rewarding, fulfilling you're not going to get rich, but boy, you're going to feel good about what you're doing. I'll be real frank. Wonderful. Yes. Well, that is perfect to end this on. This has been Life in Accounting, a podcast production of whereaccountantsgo.com. If you haven't yet visited our website, please do so. We're going to have the show notes for Lyndon's episode, and plus we have the show notes for all our other episodes, of course. And we'll put some links in there to United Way as well. So if you want to find out any more information about that, you can. Lyndon, on that note, actually, if someone wanted to go online and find out more about the United Way programs and, and perhaps get involved, where's the best place to go? Well, you can look up, you can Google your local United Way, and I can guarantee you they'll reach out to you. If, if you'll contact them, they'll be very interested in getting you involved, and you can get involved in allocating funds. You can get involved in delivering services. We have Volunteer Center, and we have uh, all United Ways nationwide. Basically, I'll have a call center or 211 to reach out for help. And uh, just to end it on a positive note, the difference that you make here locally, we helped 600,000 individuals. That makes you sleep very well at night. At least it does for me. So you can make a tremendous difference in individuals' lives. Wow. Wow, that's perfect. Well, thank you, everyone, for joining us this week. We will see you next week. <laughs>